0: Welcome to Season 2 of In Search of Peace and Healing. I'm your host, Celia Boone. So hello again. So glad that you could join me. Today we're going to talk about... What happens when we cry? And before I begin, let me say something to people. There are legitimately people who are unable to cry. So if you really can't, if you are not one who ever suppresses tears, you just can't cry. Some people don't even manufacture tears. Their tear ducts you know, we're born not functioning. So if, if you're one of those people, um, this really isn't necessarily for you. If you are male and you've been taught that big boys don't cry, forget that. This episode may help you. Um, one of the reasons I've always suspected that women outlive men is because women are much more likely to allow themselves to cry. Um, And there are such huge health benefits to that that it may actually be um, at least part of what helps us have longevity. But whatever your crying status, you're always welcome to listen, and I'm really glad that you are. So, let's talk about what happens when we cry. You know, when we were babies, we all cried. We had to. Our survival depended on it. But now that we're adults, many of us, most of us, I would probably say, in our society, try to hold back tears in the belief that crying, especially like when you're in public or, worse yet, when you're at work, Is seen as a sign of weakness, something shameful, something that means you're just an out-of-control person. Before my family used to go to funerals when I was a child, my mother used to urge me to keep my composure. So the message that gave me is that crying at a funeral wasn't okay. It was something that other people did, maybe, but they must be like low class or just, you know, I don't know. They just weren't as good as we were in our family because we could keep our composure, I guess, was the message. And I guess she thought that just deciding not to cry made one able to suppress tears, which really hasn't been the case in, it certainly wasn't in my childhood and it's not even in my adulthood. But that was a message that I got. Even as a young child, I mean, there were times when a married couple died in a car wreck and we're going to this funeral and there are two caskets and it's really sad. And, you know, I got the lecture before we went, don't cry, keep your composure, dear. How can you not cry? You know, I went to school with all their kids, and it's really, it was heartbreaking. So that just didn't make sense to me. In many corporate cultures in our society, it's considered unprofessional to be overly emotional. I guess being professional, at least what I learned about it in corporate America, meant that employees are supposed to, A, suppress all negative thinking, B, all negative talk, and C, anything that demonstrates more than the mildest of emotions. Always be positive. Moderate your enthusiasm. Don't laugh too loud. Don't show anger. And don't ever let them see you cry. Something else that kind of puzzles me about our society here in America, when someone cries, we try to get them to stop. Don't cry, we say, in an attempt to be helpful. It might help the other person to suppress their tears or stop crying, but does it really help them overall? In fact, some psychologists suggest that we may be doing ourselves a disservice if we don't tear up regularly. So I did some research, and I went out on the internet, found some interesting things. There's a website called Gizmodo, G-I-Z-M-O-D-O, and I found an article That's talking about tears of joy and sadness look different under a microscope. We can cry because we're happy. We can cry because we're sad. We can cry because we're cutting onions. We can cry just because we need to cry. We can tear up to lubricate our corneas. You know, they're all different Things or different reasons for crying or for bringing tears to our eyes, but are they really different tears? So there's a photographer named Rosalind Fisher that wanted to find out, and she published a series called The Topography of Tears. So she gathered tears from all different kinds of situations and allow them to dry on slides and then put the slides under the microscope to see if there's, you know, are they the same? Are they different? What are the differences, etc.? And so there are three different kinds of tears. There are psychic tears, like happiness, sadness, or extreme emotions um, cause psychic tears. Basal tears are made to keep the eyes lubricated and washed. Reflex tears are the kind of tears that come in response to an irritant. Perhaps you're chopping onions or, you know, someone has thrown tear gas at you or something like that. It's, or you have an eyelash in your eye that's irritating your eye. Those are when base, um, reflex tears come. Now, the Smithsonian says that Fisher has found that these three different types of tears contain different molecules. And if you can go out to Gizmodo and look up the tears of joy and sadness, um, you can see them, her microscope pictures, and they really are very striking the differences. Um, but I can't show you them because this is a podcast. So um, if you're interested, Do go look that up. Um, So, anyway, the Smithsonian says that Fisher found these three different types of tears contain different molecules. And to me, that makes sense, because they're different things. But how do tears of joy and tears of sorrow, which come from the same place, they're the same type of tears, how do they end up looking different? That's because of circumstance. Even though they're the same type of tears, how you cry and so forth can affect how dried tears look under the microscope. And um it was just it was really amazing to me to see the difference. They also show a picture of reflexive tears, like when somebody smelled an onion and cried and those are wildly different looking too, so It was fun, too. I enjoyed looking. Um, Then I found another website, Bustle, B-U-S-T-L-E, and there's an article by Caitlin Wild. She says, Crying might feel like an entirely emotional behavior, but it's actually rooted in an evolutionary survival tactic. Psychic tears are particularly awesome because they're supercharged, with a calm-down cocktail. These stress tears are infused with endorphins and pain-killing cues to help soothe the iris of the eye, and they're triggered by neurotransmitters that send that specific brand of tears for that specific reason, to protect your eyes and calm you down. So really, tears are little helpers your brain sends your face to help blunt the situation. That said, there's a reason people often prescribe a good cry for relief. Crying enhances your mood and physical state. So go ahead. It's your party. Cry if you want to. This is what happens to your body when you do cry. The endocrine system. After something triggers an emotional response, this endocrine system responsible for producing hormones through its array of glands, releases hormones to the ocular area and causes your eyes to fill up with tears. Then your body goes into fight-or-flight mode. During an emotional build-up, everyone's favorite stress hormone, cortisol, is released by the brain, sending your body into fight-or-flight mode. It may make you hyper-aware of what's going on around you, which, by the way, only magnified that embarrassing feeling you got in elementary school when you cried in front of your class. Or it can, you know, it, it can just really activate your awareness so that if there's a predator or a threat, you're more able to deal with that. Um, a phantom lump can appear in your throat. Cortisol also slows your breathing and creates tension in the throat, which is why you've heard the words lump in your throat described in crying scenes of your favorite novels. The technical term for it is actually the globulous sensation, which is what happens when inflammation in your throat gives you the feeling that there's a mass inside, even when there isn't and you release toxins specific to the very type of tear you're crying. When we cry, yes, our bodies get rid of toxins. With emotional tears, there is a release of leucine encephalin, an endorphin that releases pain and helps to improve your mood. This is a super important detox because it helps you to reduce stress immediately. You know how your mom's always told you, oh, you'll feel better after a good cry. So science has her back on this one. Crying is a normal response to pain, frustration, anger, certain losses, um, bereavement, of course, immediately comes to mind, and fear. When stressful emotions reach a peak of intensity, Tears bring therapeutic release. Once the crying stops, the body relaxes, our heart rate slows, our breathing becomes regular, and blood pressure goes back to normal. So crying can help us move from tension and stress to relaxing and feeling better. Um, The Japanese are such strong believers in the health benefits of crying that they've taken that wisdom to the next level. Some cities in Japan now have crying clubs called, and I'm probably going to butcher this, Rui Katsu, meaning literally tear-seeking, where people come together to indulge in good old-fashioned sob fests. To help the tears flow, the participants watch tear-jerkers. And why do they do this? because crying releases stress and therefore is a great practice when it comes to staying mentally healthy. And research is backing up that theory. Studies of the various kinds of tears have found that emotional tears contain higher levels of stress hormones than do basal or lubricating tears or reflex tears. Emotional tears also contain more mood-regulating manganese than the other types, stress tightens the muscles and heightens tension. So when you rec- so when you cry, you're releasing some of that tension. Crying activates the parasympathetic nervous system, and restores the body to a state of balance. So I guess you've learned a lot now about Celia so yeah, on the internet researching crying. <laughs> So we're going to take a little break and we'll be back in just a moment.
1: You've been listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone, who returns this episode in just a moment.
0: We invite you to go to our website, descant-mmg.weebly.com.
1: You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.
0: Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network.
1: We're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and most other podcatchers.
0: Okay, we're back, and you are listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone. We're talking today about what happens when we cry. So, you may be wondering why I'm talking about this topic today. Recently, I got a call from a very dear friend who told me she's been having trouble with her eyes. Um, She has a job where, um, especially lately, she's been sitting in front of a computer, looking at the screen all day, and it was making her eyes very red, irritated, and really uncomfortable. So she sought treatment from an eye doctor who prescribed daily treatments with an eye mask for a few minutes at a time. And my friend told me that once she removed the mask, after like seven or eight minutes, her eyes would have excreted a white gel-like substance. I asked her what made that happen, and she told me that her tear ducts had been blocked. Hmm... So I asked her what seemed to me to be a logical question. When was the last time you cried? Oh, I don't cry, she said. Not ever? No, she said. Now let me tell you a little bit about my friend. She does wonderful work that helps others. And the other people that she helps, their lives have been really damaged um generally by addiction and lots of other things so they have tremendous needs they need a lot of help from all kinds of different sources and in a lot of different areas and it's god's work but geez louise you know it it's so demanding and she and I have spoken about how their needs are so great, she could work 24-7 and never address all the needs. So, but, you know, we have to find a balance between helping others and helping ourselves. And um my mentor has told me a number of times that, when helping others becomes hurtful to us, that really isn't helping its codependency. And so we need to watch out for that because we need a balance. So back to my friend, she's highly educated, has advanced certifications in her field, but there's just not enough of her, she feels. The needs of the people she helps are very complicated and numerous. So she has a stressful job because she wants to help people. Then comes along the coronavirus. And the resulting changes in how we all, or most of us, live and work through all kinds of new stress on top of the old stressors. So now she's sitting in front of a computer instead of working with the people, you know, and having a certain amount of, of computer time. She's now in front of a computer on the phone trying to get a hold of resources and get help for these people. And she just keeps going like the energizing bunny, going, 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 and doesn't cry. She doesn't have time. And this is not to criticize her at all, because I understand. She is so committed to helping these people, and you know, I have been accused many, many times, rightfully so of not doing proper self-care. So I'm every bit as guilty as she is of, you know, not taking good self-care and it's easier for me to see it in her than it is for me to do something about my own. But I'm working at that. Um, and so, um, I just, you know, got really interested in what happens when we cry because of that. To where, you know, if we don't use our tear ducts, they actually get blocked. I cry easily. I cry at sad movies. I'll wave my hand in front of my face and say I'm a little percumpt, but I'm crying. I have cried at Hallmark commercials. (laughs) I cry when I hear music that really inspires me. I cry when I see a gorgeous sunset. I cry when I'm at the ocean with the wind blowing. It's like the wind's blowing the cobwebs out of my soul and the tears are washing away the dirt. I cry when someone I love is crying. I cry when I'm hurting, whether physically or emotionally. I cry when I'm really scared. I cry when I reach a certain point of anger. Now, if my anger continues to build, though, I quit crying. That's the time to be very afraid, because my blood has then turned to ice water, and I'm far too busy plotting my revenge to cry. Oh, whoops, did I say that? That's not good, by the way. I'm, I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> but sometimes if pushed too far. Mm. Okay, now, there are some situations for me that are better to cry than others. Um, when I was a kid... I did. I was afraid that I would be made fun of if people saw me crying, so I would go in my closet, pull the door shut so it was completely dark in there, and I would cry and cry and pull out resentment and think about how I hated this person or that one for doing things that made me feel this way and made me cry a lot of blaming, needed help, but didn't get it until later. But, you know, those were not healthy, healthy for me physically or emotionally. Um, they weren't helpful. It just, it added to the resentment in my resentment cauldron. I stirred it up and boy, when you stir it, it stinks, and, um, so it, you know, I didn't have a clue about how to get rid of resentment and actually it felt good to me when I was resentful and adding more to the cauldron. I, I privately wore that, like, um, a badge of being a rebel or, you know, it, it made me feel like, ha, ah, I can resent you and there's nothing you can do about it. Ha ha ha, you can't get to me deep inside. So I don't recommend crying in one's closet all alone, bitter, resentful tears. Um, I have found that the optimal place to cry is when I have one or more supports around me, people who care for me and support me and aren't going to judge me or my tears and definitely won't make fun of me. Best yet, it's when I cry and someone I love sees my tears and wraps their arms around me. My husband does a great job of that. I'm blessed to have wonderful friends who do that and they all have highly absorbent shoulders and That's just one of the many things I love and treasure about them, is that they are the kind of people who run with their arms open wide when they see tears. And I also believe that that's why the good Lord made tears come to our eyes, so that other people could see that we're hurting and need help. So just like continually repressing our tears can damage our eyes, continually repressing stress can damage our spirits. It can make us numb. It can figuratively cover our eyes with blinders. It can keep us from experiencing great joy and great inspiration it can keep us from laughing until we cry, which is one of the best things in life. One of the sayings that I learned probably 25 years ago, maybe, is this. It's okay to cry. Our tears make us stronger. And, you know, after a good cry, I really do feel like my soul is clean or cleaner. So, to you, my friends, I pose the question, Have you had a good cry lately? If not, you might want to put on a sad movie and give it a shot. So the takeaway for today, as we end this episode, my takeaway for you is, may you, as you walk through this day, may you be courageous enough to feel your feelings and allow yourself to feel great joy, great sadness, And really experience life in full color. Because tears can help us do that. Thank you for listening. I love you. And I hope that you are doing well and staying safe. Take good care of yourselves. And I'll see you next time.
1: You've been listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone, a production of the Descant Music and Media Group, providers of music and media production as well as business services for small businesses and nonprofit organizations.
0: We invite you to go to our website, descant-mmg.weebly.com.
1: You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.
0: Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network.
1: We're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and most other podcatchers. Thank you.